So I knew this priest. Um, this goes back went to back when I was really like a brand new priest. This guy was, was an older guy. He was retired. He was um, probably in his maybe mid-70s. He lived uh, in the same rectory as a priest friend of mine, a guy I had been in the seminary with. Um, and my friend was very good to him, this guy. He didn't have great health. So we just kind of looked after him. He'd get him, uh, he'd get him to doctor's appointments. He used to keep his... Uh, medicines, the, you know, medicines in order, what pills, what day, that kind of stuff. He was just good company, really good company for this, this old guy. Um, he was an interesting guy, the, the older priest. He, um, very nice, very friendly, um, but also kind of distant. He, uh, people liked him. I mean, it wasn't just us two. I, you could tell the people in the parish liked him, but you also got the sense that Nobody really knew him. Everybody kind of knew him, liked him, but very much from a distance. Um, I remember once we were at the rectory and uh, he gave us this little bit of advice. We said something, my friend said something about having to go over to something, some event that he had really he needed to be at. So he gave us this little advice. It was pretty much uh, like the art of being seen at an event, but not really being at that much of the event. Um, so it was like very, very practical. It was sort of like uh, you show up, whatever it is, whether it's a, a dance or a, maybe a game in the gym or a meeting or something, show up when you know most of the people are going to be there. So like, don't show up in the first five minutes because you're not going to have everybody there. Wait till you know, 20 minutes into the event and you're going to have a full crowd. So he says, and when you show up, plant yourself in a place where everybody's going to see you, kind of by the door or kind of a place where you kind of really can't be missed. So everybody's going to know, oh yeah, Father was there. And then he said, you slip out uh, and you be strategic about that. Like you wait until uh, everybody's up on the dance floor and you kind of make your way out. Nobody's gonna notice that when you left. Or maybe if it's a game, wait till like, you know, something intense is going on on the court, and that's when you make your exit. So nobody really, they don't know how, they just remember you being there, kinda. Anyway, I'm not gonna lie, I, I've more than a few times, I've kind of employed that tactic um, in different, you know, parishes over the years, but I try not to, I mean, you can't be at, everything, but, uh, but I even remember as he was telling us that, um, just kind of thinking like, man, that's like a little too calculated, a little too insincere, um, but it's kind of who this guy was. I think it really was the way he, he operated, like he never, he never really got his hands dirty. He never really rolled up his sleeves. I liked him. I think everybody liked him. But that aspect of him, I didn't really respect. It's a great quote from uh, Pope Francis. It's a couple of years ago. He was talking to a bunch of priests. And he said that the priest um, should know the smell of the sheep. Actually, he said the priest should smell like the sheep. The sheep being the people. 
because he should be among them and he should be with them and he should be close to them, not apart. This old guy, I think he was, I don't think he smelled like a sheep because he just never really got that close to them. I think politicians are kind of masters at it, aren't they? The photo op, be seen doing impressive things. You'll see a, a soup kitchen in action. Maybe it's Thanksgiving Day and the politician shows up and his people make sure they get a picture of him serving the food. And if you look at it, it sounds like they were there all day long serving Thanksgiving meal. Well, you know they weren't. You know, they were there for probably 10 minutes, take the picture, shake a couple of hands and, get at, and be gone. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Jesus was, I don't think Jesus would have been too good, too okay with those kind of photo ops. And I don't think he was, would have been too okay with that old priest's advice to two young priests at the time. I think we know that about Jesus. Well, you don't have to look too far. Look at the, look at the last night of his life. Look at the last supper. The last thing that he wants the apostles to remember. The last thing he wants us to remember. He washes the feet of the disciples. Like it's all about serving people, not being served, not being exalted. He talked about it all the time. I mean, his gospel tonight, maybe more than anything, expresses that, his baptism. Jesus getting baptized. Like, what's that about? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? People have been writing about this for about 2,000 years. Like, what was, the, what was he thinking? Like, we know what baptism is for forgiveness of sins. Like, Jesus didn't have any sins. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. But you know what Jesus did need? He needed to be among the people. And maybe that's the reason why he was baptized. He got in line. And he rolled up his sleeves to be among the sheep, to smell like the sheep. Maybe it was just a great symbol of how we should all kind of live our lives. There's a movie, pretty, pretty, I think a great movie. I remember, uh, well, I've seen it a bunch of times. It was, uh, came out in, I guess, the early 70s. I think I've even mentioned this before. Um, those of you old enough, you might remember the movie Papillon. It's with uh, Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. It's a pretty cool story. It's about sort of a true story based on a real person. Steve McQueen plays this Frenchman, and he's uh, been convicted of murder. He's innocent, but he's been convicted of murder, and he's been sentenced to uh, this French penal colony in uh, South America. French uh, Guyana, and uh, it's a brutal place. It's a horrible, horrible place for those who are just sort of condemned. The whole movie is really Steve McQueen trying to escape, just sort of like these series of attempts to get out of the place. He almost makes it. He gets caught. Every time he gets caught, the punishment is more severe to the point where he's, he's, it's, it's killing him. He's sort of losing his mind, they're starving him, they're torturing him, he's in solitary confinement. Anyway, there's a particularly cool scene. One of these escapes, 
he gets away, at least for a while, and he's um, partially free. He gets outside of this prison, but in order to completely be gone and free, he needs to get a, a boat, access to this boat. And he's told the only place he can get one is in this nearby island, or right near where he is, and it's a, it's a leper colony. So he's got to go to this leper colony in order to get the boat, in order to get free. So the scene is great. He shows up at night, and he's scared to death. I mean, it's a leper colony. He's scared, frightened he's going to be contact leprosy. And in the scene, you've got these people, these poor lepers that are walking around like, they look like, almost like zombies. And he makes his way into kind of the center of this little camp, and he asks for the leader. And they kind of motion to where this, the guy in charge is. And he himself is a leper. And he goes into his tent, and it's just so creepy. And, and the guy already knows why Steve McQueen is there. And he has no intention of giving him this boat. But he doesn't, McQueen doesn't know that. So this leper is just sort of like toying with him. And you can see it points. The guy, the way they did it is so cool. Like the leper, you pretty much only hear him. You don't really see him. Every once in a while, he's in, kind of in the shadows. Every once in a while, he comes out. So you, a little bit of this guy is revealed. And like at one point, his, you see part of his hand. And it's totally, it's horrible looking. It's totally deformed. These missing fingers. And the camera keeps going to Steve McQueen because he's just scared. But it's like, i got to get this boat. It's the only way to freedom. So they're talking back and forth. And, and oh, and the, the, the leper's smoking a cigar. And you can see Steve McQueen looking at the smoke. And just the look on his face as he would kill for the, a, a, a cigar. And the leper can see that. So he says to him, would you like a cigar? And McQueen has this sort of relieved look. And he says, yeah, I'd, I'd love one. So then the leper leans forward, and he now, for the first time, comes into the light. And he looks like a monster. I mean, his face is completely leprous. So he leans forward toward McQueen, and McQueen kind of recoils because he's, he's so frightened by the look of this guy. And he's got the cigar that he's smoking in his mouth. And he takes the cigar out, these like mangled hands, and he leans over, and he hands him his cigar. So now McQueen has got, like, what am I going to do here? Am I going to reject this or not? And he pauses for a second or two, and then he takes it out of his hand, and he puts it in his mouth, and he takes a puff on it. And the leper says to him, uh, how did you know I wasn't contagious? And Steve McQueen says, I didn't know. And then the leper says, um, I'll get you the boat. And he gets him the boat. Man, it's sort of like when we become like sort of one with the lepers, when we get close to the sheep, sort of like that's when, you, that's when we become sort of exalted. That's when people respond. I mean, people write books about this all the time, about leadership. And it's always, humility is always a part of it. Service is always a part of it. Sacrifice putting others first. I mean, I think that's what was going on with Jesus. I mean, clearly, he didn't need to be. John the Baptist was like, I'm baptizing you. He's like, no, you baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, you baptize me. Like, this was important. This wasn't just a, you know, an incidental. 
Jesus clearly wanted people then and us tonight to know that on, on some level in our own lives, this is the way we're supposed to be. Not see ourselves apart, certainly not better, not more important. Anyway, it's just a, it's a great scene. And he gets the freedom. Look at what happens in the gospel here. It's like, it's like whenever we do that, when we serve others, things are better. The gospel here, it says, after Jesus is baptized, it says, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended, and there's this voice from God saying, this incredibly loving voice of affirmation. Think about it. Think about people in, that you know who kind of were that way. Maybe it was like an aunt or an uncle. And we have, we, you know, everybody's got a bunch of aunts and uncles, and, you know, we kind of love them all. But there was probably like one or two that were sort of different, like f- favorites. And I'll bet you it was because they were probably that way. Like they, they didn't create this big distinction between themselves and, and us. Maybe it was somebody who lived on, the, on your block, some neighbor who was just uniquely that way. And you just, you just liked him more than anybody else on the block or a particular teacher who didn't keep this distance or a coach. And I'm not saying, hey, there are differences. We're not, you know, coaches are coaches, teachers are teachers, adults are adults. Like, I'm not saying we are, we, there's no differences. But some people try to promote those, you know, or enhance those differences, I think, way more than was ever meant to be. And when the people do the opposite, you get the boat. You get freedom. Life is better. Well, that's how God is. It's totally the way God is. Which means that's how we should be. Doesn't mean we're God, but we should try to be godly. And our example, more than any, anybody, is Jesus. And this was so much a part of his resume, more than anything. It was about humility. It was about rolling up your sleeves and not thinking you're better than anybody else. So if that's the way God is, that means that's how we should be. And think about it, how often we're not. I mean, man, you don't have to look far. Go to a, go to a schoolyard. You know, take a look at, at kids in a, in, a, in, a, in a schoolyard at recess. And look, at the, look at the groups and the categories. You got the athletes, kind of like the cool kids, and you got the kids who are not so athletic, and they're not as cool, and, you know, the really popular people. All of these groups. But Jesus was not about that. He didn't have patience for that. Well, go into a, a high school cafeteria. Same thing. And it's not just a kid thing. I think it's a human thing. Okay, yeah, we graduate from high school, and it's, we become adults, and it's the neighborhood you live in. The groups of friends we choose to have or not have. People thinking they're sort of entitled to stuff because of where they live. We just create these categories that, man, like he just didn't have time for. The church, man, I think the church is maybe more guilty of this than maybe anybody. Because all we ever do is have like these categories and great story when Pope Francis the night he was, he was elected, I guess right after the, the, the election of a pope, the cardinals who elected him 
they go to some place for this big meal to celebrate, and the new pope is with them. So you got this whole bunch of cardinals, so it's a very practically, they got a bunch of buses out in front of where they, the Sistine Chapel. That's for the, for the cardinals. And in the, in, in the last, behind the last bus, it was like a limousine. Well, that's for the brand new pope. Well, there's this great picture of Pope Francis, brand new pope, in, a, in one of these coach buses surrounded by these cardinals. They looked like they were going to Atlantic City or something. Francis was like, I don't need a limousine. I'll just jump in the bus with you guys. Well, we knew pretty much immediately, wow, like this guy's going to be different. It's like Jesus waiting online to be baptized. And I guess the next day, there's sort of a tradition where, um, I guess it's when the, uh, the cardinals are now going back to, they're leaving Rome, and they gather in the chapel, and they receive an individual blessing from the pope, which is kind of cool. Brand new ble- uh, a blessing from a brand new pope. So what they do historically is they'd get this big platform, they'd bring it out, and they'd put this big giant throne chair on top of it. The Pope would sit there and these cardinals would walk up and kneel down and receive a blessing. Well, Francis said, I don't need, I don't need the pedestal or the, the platform, and I don't even need the chair. So they ditched both. And he just met these guys face to face. You know, were they equals? No, not, no. I mean, he's the Pope and they're not. But was he like going to exalt himself above them? No way. Because that's not the way Jesus is. And if it's not how he is, man, it's not the way we should be. Look at what the Acts of the Apostles, this reading, what Peter says. Very simple. He says, God shows no partiality, no favorites. Whoever, whoever fears God and acts right is accepted by God. It's like, he doesn't care about the schoolyard nonsense. He doesn't care about the beautiful people and the not-so-beautiful people. He sees everybody the same. And so should we. You know, we're not God, and we're never going to be perfect at that, but there's the goal. God shows no partiality. So, neither should we. So, roll up the sleeves.